You are listening to Decoding Unicorns with Prashant Pitti, co-founder, Ease My Trail. Hey listeners, welcome to the new episode of Decoding Unicorns with Prashant. I am Prashant Pitti, co-founder of Ease My Trip, which is also one of the unicorns in India. As you know, unicorn is a tag given to startups which has attained the valuation of $1 million or more. Or in this year, we have had more than 46 startups that have gotten this title. So there is no better time to host a show like this. In this podcast, we will bring founders of unicorns in India to give you insights of what it takes to be the pioneer in India's today's technological-driven business world. Today, I will be speaking to Nikhil Kamath, co-founder of Zerodha and True Beacon. Who doesn't He started equity trading at 17 and later co-founded Zerodha along with his brother. In 2019, he co-founded his second startup, True Beacon. He has received GQ Entrepreneur Year of the Year Award and also has won Times Startup of the Year for Zerodha. So without further ado, hi Nikhil, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Hi Prashant, thank you for that. Hope all is good. Your family is keeping safe and sound in this third wave that we have witnessed. Yeah, largely good. I mean, we've all had a tiny twist with uh, COVID at one time or another. But uh, the third wave seems to be better than the prior two waves for sure. Uh, absolutely. Even the data suggests so. Yeah, things seem to be opening up. I was traveling uh, last week. I got back yesterday. I was in Oman. But oh. on the way back, I stopped by in Dubai for a day and I ran into your brother at uh, the Consul General's house. So. Oh, oh, you you were in Dubai. Great. I went to Dubai for a day. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And things seem to be normal. Like people are out and about and uh, airports are crowded. Uh, so definitely looks like we are going back towards normal. What was no, also is on the way back in India, they've stopped doing this RT-PCR at the airport, which always took away like half an hour, 45 minutes. You know, you had to wait there. But Absolutely. now when you come back, you don't have to do an RT-PCR, which is nice. Absolutely. Well, in fact, even even what we are witnessing is that the, the business is down by 15 to 20% only during this third wave which would mean that people are statistically, let's say, 15 to 20% scared compared to the last time. So, you know, we would, we are hoping that things will turn out to be normal again. And, you know, this turns out to be endemic very soon. Do you think people getting accustomed to working from home, uh, doing meetings on Zoom will adversely affect your industry uh, in the sense that business travel will be lesser than it was two years ago? Well, at least at EaseMyTrip, we are not overly dependent on business travel. So I don't think so. It would, it was, I mean, for, for us, only 3% of our business was corporate travel. So I do see your point where there will be some level of corporate travel, which will diminish in the future. But I think uh, with the pent-up demand, which we are seeing, it will overcompensate for that uh, corporate travel, which will diminish for the next couple of years. That's that's my take. Nick. Let me, mm. let me actually ask you related to the new company which you have started, True Beacon, for which I am also one of the users. Right. You, know, you already have something created which is humongously successful, which is Zerodha. There must right. be a very compelling reason behind starting the other one. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would not say compelling reason or something, you know, life shattering that existed. Nothing like that. As a user myself, 
when I went out in the market looking for asset management products, uh, mm-hmm. be it mutual fund or investing money outside the country through LRS and stuff like that, there were too many hops. The ecosystem was fairly inefficient. Fund managers would charge 2%, 3% a year uh, if you made money or if you did not not make money and there would be a distributor and middlemen and all of that so the idea was to bring transparency when it comes to asset management around the equity markets uh, we kind of cater to the ultra hni segment alone uh, typical average relationship size is about 2 million dollars for us so we help people invest into the Indian markets, into large cap equity. Uh, All our funds are large cap equity. We have no mid cap or small cap exposure. Mm -hmm. Our USP is that we are hedged all the time. Uh, The hedging ratio kind of varies according to the underlying risk that we can gauge. What is it right now? So we've like just going into the budget, we were about 55, 56% long. We've cut down positions and uh, we're about 50% long now. So we're 50% hedged today. So you have 50% so we, hedge. That's that's yeah. a big hedge amount. Yeah. So we're we're a fairly conservative fund. We are not the kind of place where if markets go up 20, we are trying to be up 30. Uh, we are not that. Uh, we are the kind of place where you know risk adjusted. If markets go up 10, we want to be up six. But if markets go down 10, we want to only be down four. Uh, so we're a very conservative shop. All our funds are like that. Uh, mm-hmm. They're all open-ended, focused on large cap with a hedging component. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, in the elevated, uh, inflated uh, valuation world of today, there is a use case for something like this. People who like to be, you know, more cons- conservative and cautious and want to, you know, play the long game. That's a very interesting observation you just made that uh, the markets are slightly elevated according to you now i think slightly is an understatement (laughs) personally if you ask me i think it's ridiculous okay that actually is very interesting and i would want to bring the next question to you which is last one year there there were 11 tech companies which got listed including eSmart, then zomato nika policy bazaars and others what do you think about that that are they also enjoying the frothiness in the market right now definitely uh see in my view, what I do not, there are many things I do not like about, uh, you know, the the new companies which have come in with crazy valuations. Mm-hmm. One thing which is on top of my list is 85% of all the IPOs that have happened recently in the last one year have all been OFS. Uh, OFS is offer for sale. So it, it means that promoters of the company, earlier investors of the company, uh, Typically, they tend to be foreign investors, hedge funds, PE funds, venture capital. They are kind of offloading equity to retail in this last cycle. I don't like the premise that retail in our country, which is, you know, coming forward and participating in the IPO story and, you know, they're finally coming into the stock market. They shouldn't be left with paper, which is so expensive. Uh, I don't think that is fair. So something needs to change there to, you know, like uh, maybe increase regulation around listing in equity markets and how valuations can be calculated. It's a very uh, tough thing to do and an easy thing to say, but I think retail should be protected a bit more than they are right now. And uh, in many cases, uh, I've gotten into trouble for, you know, being 
critical about this you know i go tweet something and then some newspaper <laughs> media will pick it up and they'll make it look like i'm taking a dig at uh, the promoters of this company these companies that's not the case uh, most of them are my friends uh, most of them have done very well to have scaled and gotten from zero to wherever they are today uh, you know beat the case with zomato nike ptm policy bazaar Uh, you guys you've all like you know done so well and uh, the businesses have scaled tremendously and in many ways you deserve the valuations that you get today but i being the conservative investor that i am i can't get myself to you know like look at a company which is losing 2000 crores a year but is valued at 60 70000 crores uh, i i don't see myself ever being able to invest in something like that uh, at the end of the day when you are buying a stock you're buying a stock for you know like as a shareholder your main priority is how profitable the company is mm-hmm. uh, and in many cases uh, the current profits today of the ipos that just happened uh, do not justify the valuations of today we are kind of valuing these companies like the next 10 years has already happened and these companies have done well but there are so many you know headwinds uh these are companies with not significant moats around them uh they're not monopolistic the, there's a lot of competition you know there's amazon there's so many new entrants coming into the market reliance is throwing a lot of money at these same issues so i would think they're overvalued and i can make 10 different cases for it i think luckily we have seen that 20 30% correction or in some cases 50 60% correction in the last couple of months maybe they're still too expensive but at some point they will become interesting i don't know what that level is uh, but uh, i think this correction is healthy and uh, it's good for the ecosystem net net no absolutely when we were listing ismatrip you know we were the first ones to be listed in year 2021 so we actually took a lot of cognizance around it and our bankers were advising us to be valued at 3500 4000 crore valuation which seemed like a fair valuation at that time but knowing that the pandemic was going on we chose to value ourselves at 2000 crores at the time of getting listed right and the results are the seeing you know i think we we took a good call of keeping a lot on the table for the investors as a disclosure right now the valuation for ismatrip is going somewhere around 5800 odd crores so we knew that you know there is a lot of uh, you know there is a lot of burden on our shoulders as being listed as one of the tech companies in india we, we took a Can call can i ask you a question Go ahead. Yeah. Pre-listing, post-listing. Uh, in terms of running your business, how much more time do you spend on, uh, you know, shareholder relationship, on kind of like watching your stock price? Do the everyday moves kind of affect you? And yeah, in hindsight, do you think listing was a good idea or a bad one? Well, I know the reason why you're asking this question because you're you're choosing to not to get listed. You're you're zero the listed around it, right? So, but yeah. So, uh, honestly speaking, we we got into habit of checking our stock price in the beginning, or uh, as soon as we got listed. So, for about a month or so, we would daily check our stock price. Where is it going? What's happening? But now we have stopped caring about it. Uh, now I think the business is more of more of as usual. Uh, there are certain things which we did. prior to being listed which i don't think so we would be capable of doing it now for example uh during the pandemic times you know when when you know all the all the air tickets were automatically cancelled we chose to give refund to customers out of companies you know reserve cash cash reserves 
uh, they were in tune of somewhere around 90 to 100 crores. Uh, but now after being listed, after having almost about 2 lakh shareholders, I don't think so we would be able to take such kind of gutsy decisions in the interest of users. So yes, definitely there are certain hindrances which we, we would be falling under after being listed. However, in terms of time dependencies, I think in a quarter, then only a day or two for which we have to we have to work on uh, basically doing doing the earning calls and being on the television to talk to to talk to the shareholders of how the results were for the last quarter, which is by the way happening on thirty first of January for us. So right. I think uh, it it sounded a lot more uh, in the beginning when we got listed, but now I think we are getting used to it. Uh, Nikhil, n- n- let me actually ask you some questions, which I think uh, you know our listeners would really want to understand. Like, how did all of this actually begin for you? Like, when you were seventeen year old, how did how did you get interested in stock markets for all the things? Yeah, sure. So I didn't study much. I kind of like dropped out after the tenth grade around that time. Uh, so I did my first full time job at seventeen, where I worked for a call center. Uh, in Bangalore, I used to sell uh, accidental health insurance for a company called Stonebridge uh, in the UK. So my work timings were UK shift. So I would go into work at you know about 5 p.m. and it would end at about 2 a.m. Uh, so in hindsight, great shift because it gave me time in the morning to trade. Uh, I could easily back then the markets would open at 10 a.m uh, not 9 a.m like now so i could finish shift it to you know sleep and then i still had uh, morning hours in the market where i could trade till 3 3 30 before i go back to work uh, many way many reasons kind of like uh to get into trading uh, nitin my brother was already trading which helped uh, i had colleagues in my call center who were kind of like they were punting on stocks here and there. So I think just the surroundings that uh, I was in at that point, my situation. So you would call that as a serendipity for that matter? That you got into it? Well, you could you could call it that. But I think it was just, you know, like by chance. Uh, yeah. And also it's not like, you know, I started trading and made a lot of money or something. I, I remember like going broke uh, many times. It would be a cycle of making money consistently for like six months or 12 months and then losing all of it in one day and you know i had a i had a few cycles of that you kind of like learn through your mistakes uh but yeah things grew like that organically uh by luck uh i don't think i'm like some super skilled guy or anything uh markets i think the most important thing you need to make money is you know discipline Mm-hmm. Uh, often people think it's intellect, uh, but uh, being disciplined, learning from your mistakes, uh, and kind of like remembering and uh, in a certain way journaling your mistakes uh, is probably the biggest raw ingredient required towards being a better trader. And when I began, you know, now it's been a long time, right? I've been trading for 17 and uh, 17, 18 years now, I'm 35. So it's, it's been a long time of doing exactly the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I were to look back in hindsight, I think the timing was great. Uh, 17 years ago, there were a lot of opportunities in the market. Uh, markets have evolved. Traders have evolved. Uh, things are a lot more competitive today than, than they were back then. And I used to trade derivatives, you know, things with leverage, like ridiculous amount of leverage. Wow. 
at that age so picture like yeah i mean i think anybody who starts off trading pretty much the most fun way to do it is with leverage right uh, it gets very addictive in a way yeah sorry you're saying i'm saying that of course it's it's very fun way but it's also pretty you know to to start i i would have always assumed that people would start very basics to buy some stocks and to see how they are performing to go directly into derivatives um, you know to be honest i'm not much of a trader uh, but i would assume that people would take a little bit more cautious approach as they get into yeah see the thing prashant i didn't really have the capital to be an investor right like you know i used to get paid some 8 9000 rupees a month in my call center and that was the money i had to trade with now i could go buy from those savings i can go invest in a stock and you know make 20% in a year and it's not going to give me anything right like with that yeah. capital i had to buy out of the money options borrow money from the broker and hope that you know 8000 becomes uh, 80000 not uh, 20% return on that so in those circumstances uh, it seemed like the the most reasonable thing to do is you know like take a lot of leverage and trade and try to make something out of nothing now it sounds ridiculous but back in the day that was the situation around the same time as you i think i also worked in the call center while yeah. studying at iit i was also you know during the night shifts i was working for emphasis as a call center executive so i think we we do share some commonality over there Nice, nice. <laughs> Nikhil, uh, talking about uh, you know one of the best times of my lives were from IIT. Do you have some regrets of dropping from the school and not doing the college? Yeah, I do. Like, see, the problem is in isolation. I don't feel that way. But like how you mentioned now, right? Like that you're from IIT and you have all these great memories. You probably amazing friendships uh, when you had your classmates or you were in a hostel and all of that mm-hmm. so when people talk about their childhood and they talk about college like that i feel like i might have missed out on an experience uh, at the end of the day life is all about experiences right and uh, people constantly uh, kind of like you know reminisce about uh, how good their college times were the best time of their life and the friendships they created i feel like i didn't have that and in you know some way I missed that. Yeah. Uh, another fun fact: my youngest brother Rikant, he also dropped out of college for eSmartRep. So there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are doing, who are who are taking through these sacrifices to run the companies. Yeah. See, you guys are like IIT and this and that, and you know you're probably like really smart people who are dropping out of college to build businesses. Uh, well, uh, I was slightly different because I, you know, I was terrible at uh, studying. I sucked at school, so it wouldn't <laughs> have gone anywhere if I ended up. finishing college i don't think i would have gained much from that i actually have a very different view on the people who get into iits including myself during the 10th and 11th and 12th you know i would call myself as a very risk adverse person like i actually took so much of pain to study so much to get into iit because i probably was risk adverse i just wanted to you know have a very regular job or be a very regular human being and that is why i took so much of pain to study so much so that's a very modest way of portraying the situation i think no i I, i really don't think so actually there's anything different than that right. i actually don't i i think that you know uh, everybody is capable of doing you know as much as anybody else could and right. it's just a matter of what frame of mind you are at at that particular time of your life till my 10th standard i i actually never cared about study i was purely and mostly into sports and in 11th and 12th i don't know what happened in me and i just became extremely risk adverse person and i studied so much 
So right. I think I think there is a thin line between capability and uh, kind of like you know the rigor and not being lazy and working hard that is required and the interest that you need to have. I think I was fairly laid back as a kid. Like you know, I I could never get myself to sit down for like three hours and stare at a book and you know understand ten percent of it. Mm-hmm. So. I think there is there is some role that you know like hard work and intellect and all of that plays towards getting into something like an IIT and not just getting into it but finishing your engineering course and all of that. Um, like uh, you know, talking about the other joys of life, you no, know, you know, besides the work, besides uh, you know, since we talked about the college and other things, uh, what are the other things which which makes you happy? You know, besides business, are there any things which you which which has special place in your heart? well you know one advice i would give to like people who are kind of like starting off or budding entrepreneurs or people who have just joined the job uh, their first job you need to milk uh, your successes in a in a manner where they where, where they are long standing uh, so what i mean is you know like in life as you get more and more the joys kind of disappear Uh, mm-hmm. what made you happy 10 years ago no longer makes you happy you know happiness is such a relative emotion and it's fast fleeting right uh, you want something you want uh, a certain you know uh, material thing you want a certain emotional thing uh, the minute you get it your mind gets accustomed to it so quickly and that yeah. becomes your new reality and your new normal the, the dopamine effect evades after 2 or 3 days at max Correct. You you, so, you get a new car. Two days later, it's just another car for you. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think by factor of being in the right place at the right time and uh, all the luck we've had as a business and all of that, I think these joys are far and few in between today. Because uh, mm-hmm. I I I've kind of like to a certain extent. and i don't think this is a good thing i think this is a bad thing lost the ability to be excited about many different things in life which a 10 year younger version of myself or even a 5 year younger version of myself would really be excited uh, to you know get or to have accomplished or done uh, but that being said happiness today is you know like i like sports uh, i try and play when i can i used to play football up until last year but i kind of like hurt my ankle and covid happened so i have not been playing too much football since then mm-hmm. but i try and play badminton once in a while i go to the gym i try to go to the gym four five <laughs> days a week mm-hmm. that's joy i kind of like uh, i like reading so every year it's like a new subject i don't like reading about work so it's never uh, i mean it used to be at one point of time you know reading about economics and uh, financial stuff and theory about different ways to invest in all of that but for the last 5 6 years i find myself drifting towards topics which are more innately interesting to me uh, so a book which is like really really good and leaves you feeling great after is you know another joy of life i've watched a lot of netflix uh, it's not joyful but uh, it's a it's some kind of you know you're in, you're zoned out when you're watching this netflix show for maybe 10 hours in a row right like oh you, you do like, binge watching um, yeah yeah big time big which time. which one was the last one did you see 
I watched this show called The Brink on uh, Hotstar. It's a political comedy about a US uh, uh, somebody in the US embassy in Pakistan. Jack Black plays the role, mm-hmm. uh, but it's about you know like a, there's about to be a nuclear war triggered between Pakistan and Israel, and, Israel. Oh, and okay. it's a funny take on what this Jack Black does, and it, it's quite a funny show. It's funny without trying to be funny, and I normally tend to like shows like that. Nice, nice. I look it up. Um, I also read that you're you're hooked on to chess. Uh, well, I I used to be when I was a kid. I used to play a lot of chess. Uh, I'm talking about when I was fourteen, fifteen. Mm-hmm. It's not as addictive to you as it is for me right now. No, no, no. I haven't played for the better part of like fifteen, sixteen years. Oh. I mean, the last time I played chess was probably the worst thing I've. The worst decision ever, because you know, like I was playing some charity game and some circus happened, and yes, yes. it was like I should not have uh, played. I should have just avoided the whole situation. But you know, everything is a learning in life, and you're better off if you learn from these things. Hey, tell me how to how to be hooked off the chess man. How how do you live this? I mean, I'm 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 going crazy about it. I almost spend one hour every day. Chess.com. Uh, I play on leeches. It's 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 so okay. addictive, and I'm actually researching uh, on how to quit chess, and I've tried three or four different ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick another game, I guess. That's the only way, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I've also started, uh, you know, boxing these days, and my goal for this year is to become an amateur boxer by the end of this year. So I'm I'm trying to, you know, stay a little bit away from the chess, but it it creeps upon you. Seriously, it's so addictive. <laughs> nice try. I mean. what i find in games to be most addictive are like you know computer games uh, i'm not kidding there's this game called counter strike wow. uh, so our entire management team at zeroda not now not in the last 4 5 years uh, but before that everyday market used to shut down at 3:30 pm and from 4 pm to like maybe 7 8 pm we would all sit on land Counter Strike, you know, like one team used to be terrorist, the other used to be counter terrorist, and it was about planting a bomb and defusing it. We've we probably like wasted four hours a day at a stretch for maybe three or four years playing Counter Strike. Wow! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Now you're going to be making so many employees jealous just by saying that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Point to be noted. Doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Um, well, uh, you would hate to hear this, but this is how IIT life was. We used to just play Counter Strike on LAN all throughout the day. I know, yeah. yeah, this was this was exactly what the life was. So I think uh, that is that is how I got my addiction of Counter Strikes done during the college time and stuff. So yeah. you know, I'll tell you one trait of mine which I follow pretty rigorously. Uh, you know, you tell me what are the things which makes you what makes you. Like for me, I have always been more curious than cautious, and you know, pretty it has pretty much served me very well all throughout my life. Is there any practice or habit which you have uh, because of which you know you have created zero dha and true beacon, and it wouldn't exist without that practice or habit which you have? It would be unfair of me to take credit for. Zeroda or Trubeacon or any of these companies, because I think there have been many people who have played a far more pivotal journey towards building these institutions than I have. 
but the one thing as a trader or as an investor you know i kind of like associate my own personality more with that of a trader than that of an entrepreneur i think i'm fairly pessimistic in that uh, i'm somebody who looks at the glass half empty always uh, i would never kind of like uh, look at a company and think optimistically that everything will work out uh, more often than not i'm looking at what could go wrong uh how do you cope with it when it goes wrong and i think being pessimistic has kind of helped me be maybe a better trader than i would have been if i were extremely optimistic okay. uh, yeah that's actually a pretty valuable lesson to all the traders out there um nikhil you know uh, most people assume that bootstrap founders must have a very rich background you know uh, that's that's one assumption which i hear all the time since we are also bootstrap organization uh people assume that we must have had a silver spoon while while it well well we had a very modest upbringing what was it for you guys uh did you guys uh come with a lot of royalty or is it all self created not really like fairly middle class you know we we hail from a south indian brahmin family uh you know like education is pivotal in what parents want you to do so we were pretty much the black sheep of the family because all my cousins went to iit and they're working for they went to do ms in the us and they work for intel and microsoft kind of things uh but uh, middle class family yeah, like dad used to be a bank manager at canara bank mom was a music teacher nice so i'm not you, not like your mother side Huh? Did you play music? Did you pick anything from your mother? I tried. Like I'm not being, uh, you know, overtly critical of myself, but I went to guitar classes, flute classes, uh, mandolin classes, tabla classes, everything when I was a kid. Piano classes. I was never really uh, too good of too good at any of it. Like uh, even today, I play like a little bit once in a while, but. Uh, i'm not very proficient at it so you know some people are skilled and some are not i don't think i'm very musically skilled mm. and how is it like to run the organization along with your brother like uh, we we at ismatrip have very clear defined roles of what each of us will be doing at ismatrip how was it to run a company along with your brother uh, yeah so we we have clear roles like that too uh, in all fairness i i kind of like do not enjoy managing people and you know stuff like that i don't do any of it primarily what i do in my day is you know like i spend time looking at the market markets across the world different asset classes i spend a lot of time doing research uh, looking at macroeconomics and uh, figuring out what might happen next i spend my time doing that cuz i kind of like cherish that i think the biggest privilege of having been lucky and having had the last uh, 15 16 years go well is i can spend my time doing what i like versus you know what i have to and uh, that's what i enjoy and you know i spend my day doing just that i don't manage any people nobody reports to me uh, you know different people do different things but i try as far as possible in my life to do nothing outside of uh, investing and activity around investing and i i feel like i enjoyed so much that for the rest of my life it will be like that oh nice very nice very very dis- different aspect of yours which i wasn't aware of you know zeroda is is such a quite inspiring story right but there are how many companies like that exist 
who have become a unicorn without ever raising money. I only know a very few Zoho, Zerodha, maybe Smartrap, and probably few more. Uh, most of the bootstrap startups do end up failing, right? Uh, do you could you could you share any one learning, any one approach which which made Zerodha what it made for the listeners? Like for Smartrap, it was probably just being extremely lean, efficient, and being disciplined. Uh, anything which you'd like to share? I think the world is cyclical. If you were to look back in time, I'm a big history uh, fan. Uh, companies come, companies go. Every company has a life cycle. Uh, some companies thrive because their product is relevant to the time. But if you were to look back, you know, like a hundred cool companies have come before us. They've done very well. They've become irrelevant and they've shut down. Uh, the one good yeah. thing i don't know if we do it i hope we do is we retain the ability to change uh, you know we don't have external investors mm-hmm. and all of that so yeah. it's easy to make decisions fast uh, and we we've been able to remain relevant relevant for 11 12 years now i think that is the biggest uh, success in my mind but uh, you know you there will always be the new guy who is cooler and it might not happen now it might happen after 5 years somebody new will come along they will do better than us uh to have humility and accept the fact that uh, success today is a factor of timing and uh, market cycles and a hundred different things and not of it's not testament to our ability or some superior intellect or something like that i think is a better way of approaching it uh, you know that way you don't uh, take too much pride today and you don't take too much criticism 5 10 years down the line when you've lost that ability to change and uh, modify as much as you know you might have had when you began Oh, that's that's a very well put away uh, nikhil honestly speaking i would completely echo to that statement most of the success is basically being at the right place at the right time which you know people usually don't give credit to i'd actually completely agree on that thought process and very very well put now now talking about the cyclic city of the world uh, you know you said that uh, you know let's let's say if i were to start something right now i'd probably do something in either biotech or quantum computing you know what would uh, nikhil uh, who is let's say 17 year old again uh, would be excited about in the world right now so right now like it's it's kind of like echoed in the books i read of like in this month or this year for example i spend a i spend a lot of time being uh, intrigued by uh, psychology uh, history and you know things like uh, existentialism and uh, uh anthropology in a way what makes us what we are mm-hmm. uh, and how did we evolve to be our versions of today you know why does why does prashant want to create a big company and you know like grow it and how did humans evolve to be like that and why do we want what we want there's a there's a very interesting you know philosopher his name is rene girard he's a french guy mm mm-hmm. he has something called the mimetic theory in isolation if prashant was born in a box uh, and you lived in a box and you never had human interactions uh, and i don't know how old you are today but let's assume you are 30 years old today i'm of your age 30 okay. okay the the question would be what does prashant want mm-hmm. so he says that you want what you want and you have done what you have done not because you wanted to do it 
but because you thought the people around you want it and you kind of like followed the herd in one way or another but things like these really intrigue me like how the human mind works and uh these subjects are something that i find uh, extremely interesting today and if i were to be 17 all over again you know i would probably want to go read about philosophy and you know like history and probably have a career in that oh. and not in uh, you know like entrepreneurship or the things that i i have ended up doing by virtue of my circumstance that's pretty much you saying that i would want to go back to studies and and try something. yeah in a way in a way i mean <laughs> at the end of the day you know life is so finite right like the 35 year old me probably has 35 years left on this planet oh, exactly. you know, when you think about it practically i don't have kids i don't have dependents i'm unmarried like uh, beyond a point you have to think like you know what is the point of accumulating more and more you know money and this and that and then uh, it's not like you can take it with you or any of that right like uh, gaining knowledge learning about new things uh, these are things which make me feel alive and uh, you know give me things to look forward to so from that lens if i were to like the 17 year old self of uh, 17 year old me was you know greedy as hell and you know i just wanted to get things i did not have right and i was in a hurry to do that but that's also cyclical right like now after realizing all what you have realized this is the wisdom you have which you could not have had unless you have attained what you have attained true true mm-hmm. yeah so if i were to go back and be 17 again with the experiences of being 35 and having you know like been a trader for the last 17 18 years i would probably take that route instead of this great great nikhil any any book or any podcast which you would want to recommend to the listeners who are listening out to you right now books what am i reading now there's this uh, there's a lot of philosophy stuff so i'm i'm reading Cam- camu i'm reading a little bit of orwell rene girard sartre i like the greek philosophers quite a bit so you know like uh, socrates plato aristotle people like that uh, I, the good thing about the greeks is they never preached uh, even though we call them philosophers they never really had philosophies they were more about questioning and curiosity and why that is a good thing i like that premise you know uh, they had the gumption to go out and you know like question religion and question god and ask these questions which uh which were in a way not allowed at that time so i think books about any of these people are you know very interesting you pick a book about plato you pick a book about socrates uh, or the newer ones you go read uh, uh rene girard or you read orwell i think all of these guys have such interesting minds and whatever they write tends to be interesting great great uh nikhil one last question to you in the interest of time how often do you question yourself for what you have become or what you are becoming with all the success glory that you have created for yourself does it feel surreal sometimes for you no yeah like i'm i'm a very insecure person like i think my with more things i have kind of like piled on the more insecure i have become in life because when you have nothing you don't have to fear losing anything mm-hmm. uh, the more you get 
the more you fear ki acha tomorrow it can go away you know we're all like two three decisions away from going back to zero right like yeah, three four times it's very yeah. easy immaterial of what position you're in life to go back to where you started from uh, my fear is i don't have the energy to rebuild and you know start over and do all of it again so uh, i question myself constantly uh, i a bit more than i should you know like my therapist tells me i am overtly critical of myself and i always like you know look at myself with a magnifying lens but look at others through you know rose colored lens and uh, it's something i have to work on personally and get better at well my therapist tells me a lot of things which i won't be able to share publicly good that your <laughs> therapist is only saying that you're over critical about yourself no no this is this is what i can share publicly she has a lot more criticism of me privately <laughs> i will chat offline about that <laughs> Okay, thanks Nikhil for for your time and wisdom man. Thanks so much. I owe you one for the next time. You know, this was extremely insightful and enjoyable conversation. I I'm very very sure our listeners will relish this episode for a really long time. And I'll be back with another episode, uh another unicorn uh the next week. Till then, stay safe and cheers. You are listening to Decoding Unicorns with Prashant Pitty, co-founder of Ease My Trail.